0: So today's podcast is looking at Year 8, Theme 3, Expanding Empires. And it's an inquiry question. English abolitionists or agency of the enslaved. Why was the slave trade abolished? And our second order concept driving it is causation. Uh, and I'm here with Catherine. Welcome, Catherine. Um, and thank you for uh, like planning this, this unit for the OCL curriculum. So I guess kind of first question, what got you excited about it? Um, What interesting stories did you find?
1: Um, so I think what excited me about it was because obviously we've heard a lot in the news recently about the different um, interpretations now mm. of, of our past and empire and the slave trade and obviously with the um, toppling of the statues in such recent history I think it was really interesting to be part of um, a process of kind of rewriting well obviously not rewriting but considering the way that that history is taught to schools. so then when people are kind of growing up with that world view about slavery and empire um, we're kind of we're kind of keeping up to date, rather than just going back over the same stories, they will then grow up to understand why that history is constantly being um, re-looked at and revisioned, and I think um, it really, I think, gives the the students an insight into the way that history is constructed, and I think that was a really nice um, way to show them that, because I know in the past when I've got to key stage four and you're starting to teach them about interpretations they kind of can't really get their head around that the textbooks an interpretation rather than just a list of facts that's just one narrative and that's right Um, so I think with the toppling of those statues being so recent it was a really nice link to show about how history is constantly evolving and I don't know about you, Bob, you Rob but sometimes I've ha- I'm having the battle of saying well they're like well why does history matter you know it's in the past <laughs> yeah it's kind of fun to hear about these stories but why do we even why do we need it um, yeah. and but kind of showing them actually is constantly going to be rewritten and the new sources that come to light and the, you know and how the world evolves, obviously our history evolves with that. Um I think it was a really nice, a really nice way to demonstrate that. Um and I think it was interesting as well because it wasn't which I don't think this sounds bad, but it wasn't actually something I'm I'm a complete expert in, which I thought was actually quite useful because it helped me understand how um non experts would be able to access the same ideas through those same uh, through the steps that I maybe went through so over summer I went to the um, International Museum of Slavery in Liverpool which was so good that like, I loved the way that they laid it out and the way that had, kind of they built it up for obviously people who weren't necessarily the experts and were going to find out about it the way that they told that story I tried to kind of emulate um, in our unit but obviously we were kind of driven by slightly different Um, objectives which obviously means it very slightly but I think it did really open my eyes to um, some of the misconceptions that I had based on my own experiences of that education and therefore the stuff that I really wanted to tackle when I was planning.
0: So what what was yeah I think that's really interesting what were the misconceptions that you said you came away from that kind of visit realising oh I haven't got this quite right and what are they trying to like get across in this unit?
1: Yeah I mean there was quite a few to be honest I think about Um, I knew little bits about how obviously the way that we view Africa now is a little bit too um, general because obviously Africa is this huge place and so diverse and so many different languages as well and uh, the distribution of wealth and I think I I kind of had a little bit of an inkling about that from conversations I'd had and things I was keeping up to date with but it's not in the level of depth that I kind of gathered from from the museum Um, and I think that also interested me obviously in terms of our links which I know um, we've kind of looks at you maybe would ask. But the links to year seven, and um, the Manson Musa unit, for example, when I'm teaching that now, I'm really excited to see how they then respond to um the year eight content on slavery, because their view of West Africa will be completely different and so much better than mine was before I accessed this this kind of um, topic. And um, so I think that was my main one about my my view on what Africa was. And obviously it's it's so much more than just one thing Africa. It's it's so much more it's got so much more depth than that. Um, and I think, as well, even having that inquiry question to work with English abolitionists or agency of the enslaved wasn't something I'd really considered before. I'd kind of just accepted that you had a, a lad Equiano who was once enslaved and therefore came then came to England and campaigned, and oh, wow, isn't that great? And that was kind of my only um my only kind of insight into how an enslaved person had shown agency. But actually, what I loved hearing about was the um constant barrage of um rebellion on the Middle Passage, like they were constantly rebelling, um, and how that wasn't just the men either, it was the the women as well, Um, and yeah, I think it just, it has so much depth, and I mean, I think I got a little bit carried away, because obviously we're focused on just one part, and we're so limited maybe by, we're just having to get it into a lesson, whereas I think you could do a whole year on all the different parts of of the slave trade. Um, I think what was, what I got from my reading and from the, um, from the museum was that language Um, the importance of language as well, so saying enslaved rather than slave, which is so powerful when you think, when you read into it, but actually you would just kind of say, oh, the slave trade and the slaves did this, and and certainly how I taught it previously, I'd never thought about that nuance, Um, but thinking about how someone being enslaved shows that that isn't just their pure identity, they they were someone before that, which of course we know, but the way that we maybe put that across to the students, they could maybe get some ideas in the head that means they can't separate the two identities.
0: Assume and it kind of gets lost right and I think that in that first and that really comes across of like we're going to be talking about this and the word slave will come up but just saying like actually we should be using enslaved and I think for teachers it's one of those important things it's really easy to slip back into then just using the term slave and and, and in the kind of like inquiries you go through like the term slave does appear but I think Mm. as a teacher it's your job to be referring as enslaved when it's not saying slave in the text and just kind of yes. reminding yourself and, and students of that and I think yeah. the thing that kind of comes across I think like through the inquiry is the idea of um, obviously the, the treatment of people in the middle passage and like enslaved people as not people quite mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. and then how actually like we can kind of challenge those ideas because I think like one of the, the key misconceptions as you're kind of saying is that uh, it did you know, enslaved people like, have any role in their own abolition or is it the old school like it's all William Wilberforce or it's all the abolitionists doing it? Um, and like you said, that inquiry question, I think, sets up this kind of like tension. And I think one of the, the, the key things of it is like, well, who, you know, it's causation, who really had the bigger role? And those first, I think, three lessons are setting up, well, this person did this specific thing, this abolitionist did this specific thing. Um, then the Haitian revolution, these uh, enslaved people did these specific things. But with that nice overlap that you talk about in the product of saying like Elada um, Equiano doesn't quite sit in either camp. And that's yeah. something nice for students to wrestle with and say, well, is he an abolitionist or is it agency of the enslaved or formerly enslaved? So there's that nice nuance there. And then in that lesson four, it's kind of undermining that tension between them. And actually, we've kind of set it up as tension. But it's actually all of that working together Mm -hmm. about the abolition of the slave trade. And it's not really one or the other. Um, And I think that's the kind of joy of that causation unit and doing things that we maybe haven't specifically looked at in causation yet of how everything needs to work together for it to function. Mm. Uh, Otherwise, actually, you don't end up with the slave trade being abolished. Right. That it's not just. The abolitionists work and as soon as they start campaigning it ends, um, even no. though that Song massacre, which I think that that story then, the stuff you picked out on the, the Zong massacre, um, did you want to just like talk a bit about that when you're looking at the Zong massacre like what kind of stood out to you about, about that as the kind of story to use essentially in this inquiry?
1: Yeah so I think so I did um, a mixture of kind of the traditional academic uh, reading around it but also the voice of some of the um, You know someone like David Olusoga who does so much now for kind of looking back at um, British, uh, Black British history and so that was part of my more academic um, kind of part, obviously it's all academic but you know that the traditional texts that have been published on it and um, I think it was, I thought it really sat nicely within this inquiry because it showed actually this kind of treatment had been happening for years, for centuries but it was only at the point that someone said actually you know what is going on here and this court case was filed and then it was and then it got into the public consciousness and I think what I really liked about it because I'm quite interested separately but it obviously all feeds into the history teaching about like political literacy and and the agency our students think they have in the way that the country works so I think it was interesting for them to see the process which I liked in um, the lesson where you kind of had the um, visual of you know member of parliament house of commons house of lords monarch and how that worked together and how actually that can be blocked at that point um I think the Zong massacre—the fact that everyone sw- was so horrified—but um, obviously it had been going on. But suddenly they were starting to go, "Oh, actually, this is this is awful. Like, I can't believe they just see it as money." But then also that within that, it wasn't just a, oh, well now everyone knows about it. At the end, slavery is abolished. Actually, some of the um, the kind of people, as part of the legal framework, were saying, "Well, no, it's the same as throwing wood off a ship. It doesn't matter." So it also got. Um, I think the students they struggle sometimes to. There's a, there's a phrase for it you will probably tell me, but you know where they kind of look back through their own moral lens, whereas actually they have to kind of um, accept that actually people have different viewpoints for, for various reasons in different points of history. Um, and then within those points of history, people, there's so much diversity of those different viewpoints. Um, so I think the Zorn Massacre was a really nice starting point for to see how that abolition movement started progressing and starting to become more organised. And the way that they use those tools to encourage the public to kind of get on board and therefore how that pressure then linked to it actually getting passed through the legal system and passing laws. Um, but I, th- I think it was a really nice um again point to a discussion about how well actually that had been going on and every single ship essentially that went across the middle passage generally there was resistance they weren't just kind of sat there accepting that that was happening Um, and I think that was um Similarly with the Haitian Revolution, that same level of shock that people in England have, I mean, it's obviously a different situation, but the fact that as soon as the kind of, I think they said it, the tide turned, as soon as the world was turned upside down, I think was the yeah. phrase in the, in the anthology, um, suddenly everyone was horrified. And actually, in a way, that kind of inhibited the the movement a little bit for some people, it kind of fed into their um, their kind of worldview about race and about how people you know different races were just different animals or you know have different temperaments um so yeah I I think hopefully (laughs) it's made sense to me but obviously it does when you write it yourself but it seemed to to round off nicely that that like you say that tension and the complexity of it and I think even that with only having those lessons you still can't really get the gist of that complexity so I think that's what's something I would when I've been teaching it, really tried to focus on that, you know, this is just sim- symbolic of that, um, that complexity of, of the different roles that people played and the effect it had on the public.
0: Right, and I think that's the, the interesting thing you draw out, the things you picked up on there, is the idea that actually not everyone's ideas changed, even with the, you know, the Zong, Zong massacre, yeah. you've still got people saying, ah, they, they, you know, no one goes to prison for it, because it just says, no, this is the same as throwing wood overboard and shows that not all attitudes shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got this small kind of acts of agency within that from of like Equiano and Granville Sharp and then their impact on the kind of like wider public perception. But the fact that, you know, the still doesn't get passed to 1807 and Song Massacre is what, 1791 and then the court case is 1793. So we've still got 14 years or something until actually we see the change that like people started campaigning for. And I think the interesting one, like the the Zong Massacre, I think, as you said, it is like a really emotional kind of connection for students. And the, the really good implementation of the new curriculum I've seen is when you're reading through things and how you kind of gain an, a grasp of whether students have got kind of what Mm. you've said, is that visceral reaction from students. And I think reading the the Mask, the the kind of story that kicks it off, is a place that you should be feeling that like visceral reaction,
1: Mm.
0: especially when it turns out that the owners are asking for money because they've lost their cargo as that. I think Mm. uh, it's one of those places. And as you said in the Haitian Revolution lesson, that first bit where Pretty brutal and shocking stuff taking place, and therefore people in England are saying this is proof, you know, savages and things like that. But actually, it's the same treatment they've been meeting out to enslaved people. um, But they just find it shocking when it's turned around against them. Um, I think also one thing that's maybe really useful for people to pick up on the impact of like the Zong massacre on like public perception, and then also you know on the society for the abolition of slave trade. That's maybe easier to explain and grasp but the impact of especially the Haitian revolution which is that key feature of agency of the enslaved we looked at although obviously we've got these examples of it kind of happening uh, a lot more than that how that actually leads to the abolition of the slave trade is when I was kind of like going to do some reading on it something that lots of people say it has an impact but don't do a good job of then really explaining why it has that impact so i am really like you like talk to you, like, your understanding you gain from this of like, what is the impact of the Haitian Revolution in terms of ending the, the slave trade? And then I'll, I'll give my thoughts on it as well. I think that's maybe the one bit what people might say. I'm just not quite sure how this fits into that narrative.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I, I love that story because I think, like you said, the um, seeing that horrific um treatment and again seeing that reaction of the students and they're kind of going well as if that's that's awful that's savage but like you say then making them realize well actually that was still happening um and and that complexity between well okay so for some people that was inhibiting um the abolition movement but actually for others and i think it was um some reading i don't think we ended up including the end but that actually for some it really um for some enslaved kind of colonies in the area that really helped to inspire further agency yeah. and that, that that hope that actually this this could happen And I think um, some other reason I did about it was about how um, people some parliamentarians of although of, of, of course not all because it did take a little bit longer to, to get to the, that bill passed but kind of said, well look if we don't if we don't stop the slave trade, it's going to stop itself, essentially, but not in the way that we're going to benefit from. Um, not, yeah, so I think, I think for so, what some of the reading I was doing suggests that actually part of it was, well, actually we can't let these people free. And and actually it's quite interesting that in 1833, once slavery is is stopped, I think there's that kind of apprenticeship, isn't there, after afterwards, which they're kind of getting prepared to be released into society, which again is obviously to us ridiculous, but it still kind of shows that, that view that people had. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that it is complex. I mean, even I'm thinking, well, how am I going to put this into words properly? Is that to, <laughs> for the students hard to, hard to grasp? But I think I think that's what, like you're saying about how it comes back to that um, second order concept of causation. Hopefully, really giving them that insight into actually it isn't just a long term and a short term and a catalyst cause, right. which is what how I've maybe taught things like you know the rise of Hitler before. Actually, there it's a it's a lot more holistic than that, and sometimes a lot more subtle. Um, but yeah but what what did you read Rob? what was your take on that?
0: Yeah so I think like the easiest way to understand it when I was when I was reading on it um is that it the Haitian revolution basically like obviously like they freed themselves from french control and uh-huh. then england essentially britain tries to take over because saint dominique was producing what like the most sugar and, and coffee you know and it's an incredibly productive colony and so the easiest thing for students to grasp I think is that the Haitian Revolution successfully defeats all attempted foreign in- invasions, stops Britain gaining control of that colony, mm-hmm. and therefore they don't need to ship slaves to that colony because they don't control it now.
1: Yes, yes, obviously
0: they still have like Jamaica and there's still massive like empire which they do need slaves for, um, but uh, that's like a maybe the firmest thing that they can grasp. But mm. actually probably lots of these MPs stood to benefit from uh, if that had taken place and they won't pass the bill whilst there's the potential for them to benefit from that but then when they successfully defeated it and that revolution is successful that's when we see a change afterwards because they Mm. were not going to get that so the economic reason is maybe the easiest to grasp but I think it's also one that in kind of like historiography is the one that's most challenged as well Mm. and as you're saying I think a few other things that kind of go with that are, yeah, this fear of other slave rebellions, um, but that can be quite hard, I think, to then associate with why the slave trade is abolished. Because if you're yes. fearful of them, you clamp down on it rather than abolish it. But as you said, it's like this fear of it, like ending in a way that's not controlled, rather than ending in a way that, like, they've got control over. Mm. And then some of the stuff I read was also they realize that this violence isn't the result of like a savage people. It's as, as a result of the slave trade itself. And so although in the moment you've got that like hindering and the inhibition because the abolitionist like Josiah Wedwood produced, uh, you know, a man on the knees saying, am I not your brother? Um, that messaging doesn't work when, you know, there's brutal. Mm. Place. Um, but After that has kind of subsided, that initial reaction to it, people are starting to say, well, maybe this isn't the people themselves that are inherently violent. It's the slave trade that's causing this. And that's another reason it then leads to the abolition of of slavery, um, of the slave trade. And so I think teachers spending their time on that lesson, just getting their head around that and saying, actually, this is my understanding of it is really important because if you don't have a solid grasp of it, your students will definitely won't. And so mm-hmm. I think just spending some time talking it through, um, doing it with your department and saying, well, this is my understanding. Is this Is what you got from it? No, I think it's this. And just being really clear before they go into it. Because the other parts are kind of, I think, more obvious. Um, yes. That agency of the enslaved, the Haitian revolution, is um, can be a bit tricky just to grasp its direct relevance. And I think, as I said, from lots of research I did on it, You'll see it says one line. The Haitian Revolution was important for the ending of slave the slave trade, but then they don't expand on it because I think it is quite hard to put into words. And yes. so um, it's time to I think spend like kind of yeah spend some time on and uh, and doing that. Um, I think a few things be uh, interesting is um, what would you be emphasizing when you're teaching this, and maybe we've kind of spoken a bit about that a little bit. But what would you want to emphasize when you're teaching this unit?
1: Um, I think. Yeah, kind of what I was um, talking before about how history is a construct and and I really liked in the year seven um I think it was the Norman, England topic where they were kind of you had the two chroniclers from different origins that were then commenting on what was going on after the Norman invasion. And so that was already given that really nice insight into actually well different people would have de- said different things and therefore how we learn it may have been affected by that. And um, so I think having. Um, knowledge of the you know obviously it says at the start of each extract you know who's written it and where that's come from having a little bit of background about each of those authors um, I think it's useful because I think then you can kind of start to ask to maybe some of your the ones that have already got that nice firm grasp because obviously um so for some of them it would be getting like you say those basics of how did everything connect but for some to kind of suggest well actually why would this person given their background have said these things and starting to kind of reconstruct that history um, so i think that nuance is, is what's nice but then maybe actually what's maybe most difficult so um i think that's that's the main thing i'd i'd say um because I, th- I think it's it, you know it's it the lesson before the assessment where they go through the timeline and there's yeah. that oh, yeah. the step The steps before we got to abolition, I think, was a a nice rounding off part of the parts you'd emphasize. So, I think before teaching, that's obviously you look through it all, but I think that's the lesson to kind of focus on to then help work backwards in terms of how how does it all link together and what bits do I need to emphasize in order to get to 1807? Um, and, And yeah, how that then links together.
0: It's, no, yeah. I, I think that makes sense. I think because obviously, like, the, we start it in 1887 looking at the coin and just setting it up, like, doing We yes. start with the end. Like, what is this coin about? What's it commemorating? Oh, great. Okay. It, this is the, the abolition of the slave trade. But how do we get here from from the starting point? Yeah. And I think I think you're right. That that lesson where it's got that timeline, which can like be overwhelming, like, mm-hmm. if you just kind of looked at it or if you're teaching it on the spot, what is this really going on? So I think people get in their heads around that. And I, I think the. I don't know quite what to call that diagram. It's kind of like a sound wave, right? Of <laughs> showing you the going up and down and um, different like frequencies and like, all that stuff. Um, I'm just like getting your head again, just taking time to like, what is this really showing? And I think for me, like that lesson is, maybe talked about earlier, the key bit of causation in this is that the question we're asking to begin with of English abolitionists versus agency of the enslaved. So yes. that's not like, we're getting kids to challenge that question. Mm-hmm. Like that's not really appropriate you know it's not just one or the other and we can see that on this English abolitionists have been working for ages the bill still doesn't get passed agency of the enslaved it's been there for a long time and then we get this big version of it in the Haitian revolution still doesn't get that bill passed Mm -hmm. and I think that also obviously goes into like how you pass a bill in parliament which is a nice bit of you know British kind of politics but also saying well you need politicians on your side right you've got William Wilberforce the bill still doesn't get passed that actually it then gets complicated in terms of oh it's all these things working in combination with each other having achieved certain things that then eventually gets that bill passed when kind of the minds of most people in parliament change for various reasons and I think like helping kids understand that and again teachers understanding that themselves is really important that it's all of those contributing factors rather than it's just been one of one of those and like you said like misconceptions I think I had about it before reading it and just how I was taught it at school is ah it's just abolitionists people decided to change their ideas so they changed it or when I went to university and started doing it they're saying oh it's economics it just wasn't viable anymore or profitable so they stopped doing it it's like no actually it's more complicated than either of those things and kind of uh, looking at looking at that which I think maybe leads us into like a, a nice question of And kind of already answered it, but like, how has your thinking changed since you started your your planning? What would say your one big understanding of abolition and agency of the enslaved has changed? Um. So I think.
1: I, I think it's. I think I was tempted, and I was when I was going into this planning. I was excited to to suddenly uncover that actually. English abolitionists didn't matter <laughs> and actually it would just be the agency mislead saying we could really explain it that way and like you say of course you can um, and I think that's um, you know when you kind of want to rise up against you know well you know the traditional viewpoint and, and, and actually no there is validity in that but like you say it's just about um, that combination so I think I think there's that and I think also I was trying to when I first started planning think about it in um, I first started saying okay well let's look through the lens of political social economic factors let's and I, the way that I was kind of trying to do it I was trying to put it into too many boxes and I think I was thinking rather than someone who's learning I was just trying to think of like a teacher how would this fit into this box and how could we work you know what can we what worksheets can we produce that will really help explain this is actually I think I just step back and thought about it well from the beginning and that's why the museum was so interesting to go through that journey myself and you know what do they need to grasp and understand and like i say, i think there's still so much more that i'd love them to understand but it would just take so so long um and i think yeah just the way that that's still being revised and still being researched upon um and how that impacts the way that we that we like perceive the world around us today um because like I said at the beginning, even my view of, um, kind of Africa and that as a continent was, was, is completely different now. Um, because like you say, you kind of hold on to those misconceptions about, oh well, um, West African people were selling their slaves or the Middle Passage was, they were all just chained and that's, and everyone was killed and everyone died of disease and that was it. Whereas I think there's so much more about, like you say, that agency. Um, and I think Build, go back to what you were saying about the the question. I when I because I, I don't know if I'm a little bit further ahead, but I've just I'm like pre, pretty much at the end of the unit here, and um, so it was really interesting for me to teach it through once just reflect on how I'd done it. And I think starting off like you say with saying this question that we're answering, it, you're not coming to the end and going one or the other, and that that'd be it. Because I think it's easy. I always say to the students. You know whatever you come up with as long as you've justified it and you've made a judgment you know great that's the beauty of history and actually no you're not going one or the other with this like you have to come to a conclusion that acknowledges all elements of it um so I think I think that was a, to be fair in terms of how I feel differently now a different way of planning something because often like for example I'm teaching Rise of Hitler I think like I said at the minute with you nine and I'm saying well you can say it's a great depression or you can say it's it was this and and that's fine as long as you acknowledge other factors you can say it's that one and that's yep. it um but I just came to the last lesson today and one of one of a boy put his hand up and said well I think and he was looking at that um timeline with the like you say the sound graph or how, whatever yeah. you call it <laughs> um with that visual well I think it is um the English abolitionists because look how much of an influence they've had at this point um, and they've been doing it for longer and I was like well look well look at this land you know the agency of enslaved has existed for for longer they've rebelled since the beginning but actually at what point did it become um did it start to put like um start to facilitate change yeah. and why is that and how do all their factors interlink? I think it's just been, I found it really intellectually like stimulating to kind of think through it myself and think about all the different factors and there's so many stories and so much more that I could have read you know I had so much more on a reading list that right. I thought I'd look to read even more about this but you know <laughs> you have to kind of draw the line somewhere to get get into just a series of lessons.
0: Yeah but no I think you're right I think it's like, like like it's a really stimulating question I think the prime thing we've said that in all the preparation it's like if you as a teacher have gone through and done the preparation and come up with your like nuanced response mm. to this it's so much easier to teach and the, the students might not all come out thinking what you think or what they you, know, you think they should think but yeah. you have to question them and say exactly like you did like well you think this but let's let's put this you know um, let's introduce introduce some dissatisfaction in it well we well, said this do you think it now right and then but actually you know it's like well without the abolitionist maybe they wouldn't have convinced the M, you know willing will mps to even put it into parliament and you can do some much counterfactual thinking with that so well if you we take this away does it still happen or if you take this away does it still happen? And uh, that's, again, a way you can kind of push this, this unit. Um, and I think like you're going back to kind of the the, the nuance here as well, that, that first lesson where it's, again, it's like talks about the abolition of the slave trade and then goes through and kind of sets up slavery um, and the um, triangular trade and just getting them secure in that. But also the fact it, it you know, it, it references, you know, it's not just these European powers that are engaged in the slave trade talks about um, and I think that came from the, the museum right uh, quite a lot of that kind of like that knowledge is where that that extracts kind of from yes, you yeah, know exactly. saying actually look you can see this you know in eastern empires you can see it in India as well our, our perception of um, you know slavery and enslaved people tends to be this but in that first lesson we're also challenging the idea that that's the one version of you know, enslaved people we've seen, and back in year seven, just to like we've already come across enslaved people in yes, England. And so our, our first introduction to you know concepts of slavery is not like you know this this triangle trade and, and black like slaves. Um, it's it's already kind of there beforehand, which I think is really important. And our first introduction to Africa is not the slave trade, as you said, it's the like Mali Empire, this immense okay. power. And even in this first bit, it does draw out that bit that, you know, we've got African kingdoms involved in enslaving other Africans as well. And just kind of problematizing that a little bit so that those kind of links are links are there. And I think where it kind of like really goes going like forwards with this, you can link it to is we'll come on to the Enlightenment. And although the Enlightenment is all about these new ideas and, you know, illumination and like this idea of like liberty and freedom, that actually that doesn't tend to impact people's ideas of slavery that much like some enlightened mm. thinkers are saying let's end it and some are not some of them have made loads of money from the slave trade and there's that kind of interesting side to wrestle with you and it's not included like here because we haven't done the french revolution yet but there's link back to like how france then treats the you know yes. uh, like haiti and actually the fact that it doesn't recognize it as a country even though france is trying to free itself and these there's some nice kind of links to, you know to, to things Kind of coming up, and also the establishment of the British Empire, which we'll look at. And I I always think it's an interesting one, where obviously at this point, you know, India is not formally part of the the British Empire, and the British Empire tends kind of to be in Americas and you know, and those places. That quite the link between slavery and empire, for me, has always been a a little bit vague at this point. That Britain Mm -hmm. has an empire and it's building and it's colonizing, going out, and this is a key part of empire and I think that's something for teachers to wrestle with as, as well. Um, where does this fit in the kind of whole scheme of, of empire and how much you specifically reference it. Um, uh, yeah and I think just kind of, uh, I think the key thing for me is, is like just establishing like quite a nuanced view of this and a, from a causal side like it is a combination of factors rather than just being one overbearing factor. And I think that's kind of the interesting thing. Um, final question, I think. If you were to say, what was the one resource that helped improve your subject knowledge? Is it a place? Was it a book? Was it, you know, podcast, TV show? What's the one place or, or thing that you found just most influential?
1: Oh, I really want to say two.
0: <laughs> go, go, go for it. We'll allow you to. We'll <laughs>
1: Thank you. I think the museum, I feel like I'm just banging on this, about this museum, but it was just so... I think because you've got, I mean, obviously, as historians, we've all been to museums, so I don't even have to explain, like, you've know, got artifacts and you've got the visual and you've got the voices, you know, parts where you can listen to these stories. I think it just gave a really nice holistic overview. And because it went in kind of chronologically, that was really useful for a starting point. But obviously, realistically, we can't all necessarily go to Liverpool and go to this museum. So I think my next best one um, was, I'm not tempted to say something else, but I think I really liked Black and British by David Olson, because although it didn't necessarily um, provide all the level of detail that was required to plan the unit and for all the different elements, I think that um, it had the level of thinking about the way that that history has been constructed that's maybe problematic, and also some of the narratives as well were interesting. Um, I think that's something as well, when I've been teaching it, I've, I've considered how maybe If this is the first time they are learning about it you know if they've not done anything at primary or in the previous years maybe they don't actually understand that that history is problematic and needs to be looked back on so i think that's something i've tried to talk about and and i've I've like suggested some reading on because i think they're kind of saying well okay that's fine and we we accept that this is how it happened and it was this variety of factors and they're all quite you know um ready to to challenge old ideas anyways but but i think because they don't maybe have that uh, misconception necessarily as much as i did having learnt it and then i'm looking back on how that's learned and 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 listening to the kind of um new um voices i think that's something that yeah i would i think that david alasoga's book gave me and then helped set up conversations with the students um well um but yeah and then like i say the museum was amazing
0: <laughs> well i then the, what's the actual name of the museum it's the liverpool
1: well, it's it's part of um, it's like in the dock, so I think it's it's the International Slavery Museum. Right. In but I think it's it's right next to like the Maritime Museum. Yeah. It's on a different level, so um, yeah, it's it's part of one big thing, but it is fantastic, yeah. and obviously it's so well situated in Liverpool, where obviously so much benefited. Um right. And I really liked what you said. Sorry, I'm kind of going backwards a bit now, but I really loved what you said about. Um, how the first lesson because you might remember thinking about that how that challenged a lot of misconceptions that slavery was just this one point in history you know be- between the 16th century and, and the 19th century and, and that was it and that's and that's how people of an, you know of different races had lived up until then until they were freed that was what they lived like so i think like you say those links between like building on that in year seven building their worldview of, of what west africa looked like at the time and the influence they had and and the gold and and how it and how it linked to all those amazingly wealthy cities that we'd studied previously then yeah to think about how that's transformed and and how that's like their lives have changed, changed later to pinpoint as a, as a historically significant event rather than just being that's what life was like and and that that was just the turning point in history yeah
0: this um, is just something that happened there was a a force was there that led these people to be this and never anything else right yeah uh, yeah, and I think I think just yes, maybe our, uh, the final thing is, like, how does it fit within the, like the big narratives? And obviously, one of the big narratives we said is is agency, and in particular, obviously, this inquiry is designed to really help students understand what that term means, like yes. agency. And so, I think obviously, like that emphasis within it of just emphasizing, right, what are we talking about? If you're planning like your do now questions, like do they understand what that term agency means? Because it's going yes. to come back and and be, you know utilized going forward but but also I think they can start to see all their previous learning in terms of oh right was it these large forces at work or was it this person or these people what agency did did they have and they can start to then use that and I think in terms of the big like narratives we've obviously got power and migration as well which we're seeing this forced migration um sets will will set up in the future you know when we look at America and the like civil rights in America obviously slavery, uh, that is crucial to, it, to where that the need for that kind of comes from. Showing those different power dynamics, as you said, between we're in Mali as this hugely powerful nation and we come there and actually like, is it, is it still that or has yes, European yeah. powers like taken over? You know, there's some questions rather than answers there, but yeah. I think you can see them. But in particular, it's like hammering that agency and saying, we know what this means now and we're, we're showing lots of people doing it. And I think the other thing in this unit there are lots of, even amongst like abolitionists or agents of mm. the enslaved, which are big groups, there are lots of characters within that that people can, can pick up on. Um, and, and for example, like Alado Equiano, uh, you know, later on, like during the Enlightenment, he's making use of newspapers to, to get his message out there, which is a key feature of the Enlightenment. And these are being read in the coffee houses that we'll all do when we do the Enlightenment. And they're just those nice connections to kind of what's coming in the future. Absolutely right well Catherine thank you so much for your, your time and your expertise and uh, for planning the unit as well um and uh we'll be back soon with another podcast